Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I am Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives. And today we have a very special guest all the way from California. And uh, his name is Paul Check. Paul, welcome aboard. Welcome. Hey, it's my, my pleasure. Great to be with you. Ooh, I'm really awesome. excited. Really excited because Paul, I, I read Paul's book, um, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, uh, probably about mm, five, six years ago. And so I was really amazed with the content. I just loved it. And I still use that as a great reference manual for my clients. And so Paul, you know, he's he's in his, I will probably let him to describe himself a little bit, but I want to just tell him that he's internationally a renowned expert in the field of corrective and high performance exercise kinesiology. He's traveled around the world. He comes to Australia. Um, he teaches, you know, throughout the world. I mean, he, I think you've been a presenter for and consultant for Chicago Bulls and the Canberra Raiders in Australia and the New Zealand, New Zealand Auckland Blues and also the U.S. Air Force Academy as well. Um, so he's definitely one of the elite experts in terms of exercise um, kinesiology, but also just in great nutrition um, expert as well. So we're, we're really excited to have him on board today. Yeah. Thank and, you, guys. And my experience with Paul is that, you know, even those people who haven't heard of Paul, uh, even if you haven't heard of Paul, you've probably done exercises or been taught something by someone who has learned it from Paul, um, mm. you know, because that information is just filtered right down through and, and people really look to him as an expert and as a guru in the industry. So uh, it's definitely uh, someone who's held in high esteem. Mm. Okay. Paul, so tell us a little bit how you got started in, um, you know, the health and wellness field and so where, what's your background and how did you, you know, get to where you are now? Sorry, I accidentally hit the mute button. I was trying to figure out. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Uh, well, my whole career really began as an athlete. I started wrestling in the first grade. Um, just needed sports to kind of vent the stress of my uh, challenging parental upbringing, which was full of uh, surprises and shocking events for a kid, such as a father dying when you're eight years old and the divorces and all the uh, uproar. Wow. So I needed sports to heal that, and that was just beautiful for me. It gave me a sense of you know purpose, belonging, a way to express myself creatively. Uh, that led to me getting into boxing when I was 12, and I stayed in boxing and then got into martial arts and did a fair bit of uh, kickboxing. And then uh, I was also a, uh, a nationally ranked motocross racer when I was young. And so... One thing led to another, ended up in the United States Army, and I came in with a plan. If I didn't like the Army, I would uh, fight my way onto the Army boxing team, which is at that time the third best amateur boxing team in the world. But I just knew I could do it. <laughs> and uh, so sure enough, uh, well, first of all, the only way you can, you know, the only way I could make sure I got a chance to fight on the Army boxing team was to be stationed at Fort Bragg, where it's located. And the only way you can do that is to sign up to be a paratrooper, which I thought was absolutely delicious, so I did that. So once I finished jump school and got to my unit where my job was to repair weapon systems on Cobra helicopters, I found these guys never bloody exercise, and I was gaining weight and feeling like crap. <laughs> addicted to caffeine because I had to work you know, sometimes 35- and 40-hour shifts, and it was just gnarly. So I said, that's it. I'm, i got to get out of here. So I went and fought my way onto the Army boxing team, which you got to – take one of the guys out in a scheduled boxing match so I, I did that successfully and I also competed in triathlon 
So while I was fighting, I was training for the Army Triathlon, and my company commander approached me and said, hey, if you want to stop boxing and do nothing but train for the triathlon, I got big money bet on you, and I want you to win. I said, well, shit, that's a great idea because I knew I was never going to be a professional boxer when I got out of the military. It just was too hard on me, and I just didn't think it was a good future for my brain. So they offered me the job of trainer. They said, hey, don't. Uh, when I told them that my company commander said I could leave, they said, don't do that. We'll give you the job as the trainer. And, and you know, because your training methods are so unique and so effective and the way you eat and everything is so much better than what we're doing, we'd love to have you incorporate that on the team. So then I got to work as the trainer where I was in charge of all their conditioning, all their nutrition, managing the gym, everything to do with preparing elite fighters for competitions you know, seven days a week, full time. That was my job. And uh, my team doctor was an osteopathic physician. So I got two years of on-the-job training by an osteopathic physician and how to care for uh, acute sports injuries and just got to really see how the medical system looked at these things. And then while I was doing that, I was studying sports massage therapy and applying that on the fighters. And I was doing massage therapy for 30 fighters full time all by myself. And then guiding them in their nutrition and, you know, training fighters is tough because there's a lot of, you know, real challenges making weight. So people do a lot of stupid things that cost them a lot of performance. So I had to learn ways to uh, teach these guys how to get down low without becoming nutritionally deficient and playing silly games. So it required quite a bit of study and quite a bit of working with, you know, personalities that can be very challenging and very addictive. So I learned a lot about, you know the mental, emotional, and psychological aspects and the nutritional aspects and all that. But when I got out of the Army, I went to sports massage therapy school, got my license, then uh, studied and became a holistic health practitioner. And then I worked in a physical therapy clinic for four years. Uh, I worked for a chiropractor that specialized in sports injuries for a year and a half. I owned my own physical therapy clinic for three years with a partner that was a very skilled orthopedic physical therapist. And... Um, then I started the Czech Institute, and the, the unique thing is that all along in my career, from the time I was a childhood athlete, because my mother's a, a yogi, a very skilled yogi, who's an, you know very knowledgeable in food and all sorts of things, my mother taught me how to take care of myself. So that's why the Army guys thought I was so weird. But what I did through my – because my career began in the boxing team caring for elite fighters, I – developed a system that incorporated massage therapy, stretching, exercise, very specific exercise, um, postural re-education, um, you know, and everything that, that was part of a holistic approach that I had to look at in order to give these guys the edge. So once I got out of the army and started my own practice, I licensed my I was licensed as a as a clinical massage therapist and a holistic health practitioner which in the state of California means you can treat anybody with any problem holistically naturally. So it's a very loose license which is perfect for me. So <laughs> in California, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. I got I got successful really quick because my my method of building my business in a city that has five massage schools and, uh, you know, 15 columns of massage therapists trying to get work in the newspaper. But my solution was real simple. I'm going to go to the doctors that I can find, which I met a lot of them because I work in a physical therapy clinic with a surgical center in 13 
uh, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and the likes in right in the same building. So I could go to surgery anytime I want. I've done five cadaver dissections. I've had a lot of anatomy exposure. So through that learning and working with all these guys, I developed an approach that was very unique. And because I knew all these physicians, I just basically um, went to them and offered to take their toughest cases that nobody was getting results with. And I said, you know, because I couldn't take insurance for a lot of these people. They had to pay me cash. So I said, look, I'll give you a money back guarantee if my therapy doesn't give you the amount of gain in your sense of well-being that you think you paid for then I'll just let you take your money back and you don't owe me nothing. So I made it so that the physicians had no reason not to try me. They weren't going to lose money. The patient wasn't going to lose money on the risk. And I said, give me the patients that every time you see them on, on your roster, you think, oh, my God, not that one again. And they all had plenty of them. And I had a super, super successful track rate of taking these failures and turning them around. And the strange result was is that many of the physicians started to come see me themselves with their problems and sending family members and i got great results for these people so i built a very very successful business where i was able to learn the methods of an osteopathic physician a very skilled chiropractor 22 physical therapists and athletic trainers uh, a whole team of surgeons and all the people that i had hired with my own money I spent about $36,000 a year for about the first 15 years of my career on continuing education alone. Wow. Oh, fantastic. So, so that put together uh, the approach that I teach at the Czech Institute, and then I started doing that full-time in 1995. Paul, let me ask you a quick question about your 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 unique – you mentioned a lot of unique um, you know, talents. I guess you've had this program you developed – Tell us some of your highlights or your philosophy and your approach in terms of getting these people back um, to you know healthier status than what the medical profession was unable to do. Yeah, what's the common thread, Paul? Because there's got to be something that you do that. I mean, not that we all want to share your. We want to share the great news, but we don't expose your secret. But there's got to be some kind of um, common thread that you see that enables you to get such amazing results because. You know, if if it was as easy as what you make it sound, then everyone else would be doing it. There's got to be something that you're doing right. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's called working with first principles. Okay. So most doctors and therapists in almost all cultures, because I've studied the medical system, the history of it, everything about it, and I've also got a lot of experience traveling around the world, almost all medical professionals are trained in one or more specialties and every specialty is only a specialty because it's dividing the body into some sort of a section or territory where an individual tries to become an expert on a given topic but we must remember that the definition of an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less until they know absolutely everything about nothing (laughs) (laughs) so my point is this All those specialists, take all the people you can think from an orthopedic surgeon to a neurosurgeon to a uh, cancer specialist to a a nurse to a, you know, know, all of them, right? Just the number of different doctors there are is, is voluminous. So you take all those specialists and you look at all the problems they treat every day and just ask yourself these questions. One, how many of those problems are resulting from dehydration? 
Mm. Well, considering that a 1% dehydration of the central nervous system can cause significant psychological disorders and that research shows 90 to 95% of the world population is dehydrated, I would say a lot of drugs are being given out and a lot of procedures are being done for worn out joints and stomach ulcers and the likes that all could essentially be significantly improved or could have been reduced just through adequate hydration. So that's question one. Nice. Two, nutrition. Well, I would say honestly about 90, 90% of all medical problems and problems that therapists see worldwide, 85 to 90%, are either directly related to or strongly correlated to nutritional deficiencies, which could be as simple as just not knowing how to eat. For example, if you go to the Weston A. Price Conference, you'll see people that are eating good food because it's full of farmers that grow the food. But you'll also see most of them are fat and arthritic. (laughs) (laughs) What's the common denominator? Here's someone who's killing themselves by eating too much foods in the wrong balance. So it toxifies their body, it wears their digestive system out, it literally breaks the body down because so much effort is going into moving something from mouth to anus and the system just isn't (laughs) equipped to do it. (laughs) So how many of those specialists are asking questions about the quality of food and the ratio of food people are eating when Anybody that knows anything about an engine knows damn well that the quality of fuel and the ratio of air to fuel in the engine is what determines whether or not the engine can even achieve optimal performance point blank, Hmm. right? So hardly anybody gets asked anything about nutrition, and the ones that do get asked about nutrition usually are getting asked so someone can sell them some kind of bloody wonder pill or some packaged food miracle that makes sick people sicker and fat people fatter. (laughs) <laughs> After 90 days of torturing your adrenal glands to death with ephedra or some other crazy thing. Yeah. Okay, so we got nutrition, we got hydration. How many people are suffering from a lack of sleep? Well, about the average in the United States person now sleeps six or slight or seven or slightly less than seven hours a night. But anybody that's a therapist of any skill level at all knows you gotta have at least eight hours of quality sleep a night for the average person to regenerate their body and their mental, emotional, and hormonal functions. Yeah. And that's very consistent in a clinical practice for anyone that pays any attention to that. Not only is it the amount of sleep, it's the time that it takes place due to the inextricable link between circadian rhythms and lunar rhythms and solar rhythms, which drive our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which, you know, as you guys know, is the timekeeper and the stress determining factor. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so nutrition, hydration, sleep, that's not being looked at. Breathing. Shit, well, the average person breathes 25,900 times a day, and your entire body will sacrifice anything it's got to sacrifice to make sure that that breathing apparatus works as effectively as possible. Because if it doesn't, you got three minutes before your brain starts to die, and five minutes you're dead, and that's more dangerous than a lot of things in nature that'll kill you. Mm, yeah. So if, if a person's breathing mechanism's wrong, you're in trouble because it causes light elastic forces. So you get hypertonicity in scalenes. You get hypertonicity in the diaphragm and all the related emotional guarding. Well, when you consider it only takes half a gram of pressure to move a tooth, an orthodontist can tell you that, you mm-hmm. wind up someone's scalenes and intercostal muscles so their rib cage doesn't move. Well, now their thoracic spine gets rigid, and every time they turn their head, they're becoming hyper hypermobile in the lower and mid cervical spine. 
And because the bottom end of that thing is the lumbar spine, if they can't move their thoracic spine, their lumbar spine becomes hypermobile. Okay, so breathing is, is it's absolutely essential to regulating sympathetic and parasympathetic balance. It's essential to maintain an acid-alkaline balance, and if that's not maintained in your blood, you're dead, and many other compartments of your body go crazy when the pH goes out of range. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so we got breathing. Thinking, well, <laughs> almost everything we treat at large could easily be tracked to a choice, and a choice is the result of a behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I, sell, as I tell my patients, if you buy a new Porsche for your daughter for her graduation present, and she doesn't learn how to parallel park her car, and she keeps crashing in the right front fender trying to parallel park this thing. The question I have for you is how many fenders will you buy for that car before you figure that your daughter needs driving lessons? We're <laughs> <laughs> well, driving around in a human body and haven't got a clue how the damn thing works and just ceaselessly bang into every factor of nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and moving and don't even know how to lift properly, how to use their body don't know how to eat, don't know how to water, don't know how to sleep, don't know how to manage their mind, believe all the stuff they were told in Sunday school like it's real. Yeah. Vote for presidents that are absolutely, completely, and utterly insane. <laughs> <laughs> we nearly shifted topic then. Hey, Paul, um, what sounds like what you've done is you've written a, a manual or a guideline for actually operating the human body. What I actually find though in practice, because all of us are practitioners, we're all chiropractors, and and I'm a naturopath as well. What we what I find is that a lot of people surrender their health and they surrender their health choices to their GP, their MD, um, yeah. so that they, which I believe many of them actually act as um, sales reps for drug companies. And yes. so, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these people end up taking drugs that then disempower them and they think then all of a sudden they have no ability to heal themselves, no ability to take control of their own health and life and that they hand everything over to the medical profession and all of a sudden they're in the system. And that's, I suppose, a big challenge for a lot of our listeners uh, to, to this particular podcast is that many of them might have already done that. How would somebody get out of that rut? How do they get unstuck? Um, well, first of all, we have to look at what's driving the behavior. So in my six foundation principles, one of the chief principles in the yang side, nutrition, hydration, sleep, or yin, breathing, thinking, and movement, or yang. And as you know, thinking can override all bodily functions because you can choose to kill yourself, and people do it all the time. So you have to look at how the mind is programmed, and if you look at the basic structure of linguistics and memetics, the science of how ideas are picked up and learned by the nervous system, people in our culture believe they're going to the doctor to get what? Coached or treated? Treated. Okay. Look up the definition of what treatment means and ask yourself this. If I say, hey, guys, you want to come to get to dinner with me tonight? I'm treating you. Who's paying the bill? <laughs> Someone else. That's it. <laughs> right? Yeah. If I'm treating yeah. you, I'm paying the bill. Right. Okay. If someone treats your injury, who's doing the work, you or them? You're doing it. If if I'm treating your leg, you're laying there and I'm treating you. Oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I was thinking That's about me doing the, the doing the treating. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So you're the yeah. treater, okay? Yeah. So yeah. you got to understand the entire Western culture and even the whole world has been not only brainwashed into a medical model where 
physicians are perceived as gods, but they have also worked on our minds by convincing us that all we have to do to, is go to them and we will get treated. So we just take the right pill or get the right procedure and all we got to do is get up off the table and go home and keep acting like the same confused person that doesn't know how to run a body in the first place. And it's <laughs> as though your problem is going to go away. Here's the, yeah. you know, this is how I work. What is the motivating factor behind the behavior of going to doctors ceaselessly for thousands of years when they haven't worked well since Hippocrates and Galen, <laughs> right? So the, the, the thing is you've got to look at the cultural understanding and perception of what it means to be treated and how they've been conditioned for thousands of years to think that all you've got to do is go to the doctor and pay money and you can walk out of the office and your divorce will go away, your low bank account will go away, your knee will feel fantastic, and you can continue to live just the same way that you did to create that problem. And the doctor doesn't mind at all because it just means more money. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the way you're talking there, Paul, and I think that really fits in with, you know, I guess our goal with the wellness guys is, you know, I like the idea of, you know, giving driving lessons, you know, giving people some information and some advice on how they can actually, you know, be a bit more proactive and take charge of their health and actually start changing some of the actions they're taking and maybe getting different results. Um, yeah, so... I'd, I'd like um, you to talk some more, Paul, about some of your exercise stuff. Um, because, uh, you know, I know that one of your books, which is called Movement That Matters, um, yeah. was actually a, a book that really changed my thinking around exercise from someone who, you know, I'd always been someone who ran a lot, um, and I still do a bit, but, but knowing it, you know, I have much more balance nowadays, and, and there was one particular page in that book uh, where you're talking about the primal movement patterns, and it's just got some great pictures of this caveman pulling stuff around yeah. and throwing spears and stuff like that, which I just love. And yeah. uh, so I'd love to you to talk a little bit about your philosophy around movement and exercise. Okay, well, I built that system years and years ago. In 1988, I was working in this large physical therapy clinic. And, you know, I came there because I was able to rehabilitate the owner of the clinic after her therapist had mul failed multiple times with a serious knee injury and the doctors were confused and didn't know what to do. So I rehabbed this lady when, when the odds were highly stacked against her and got her back to playing golf and tennis and all these kinds of things. So she hired me because she was blown away that I could do what all these people couldn't do. So um, I forgot what your question was. I'm sorry. It was just around the primal movement patterns. It was around oh, yeah. your philosophy exactly. around movement. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Thank you. I, <laughs> I need a kick in the head now. And all that jet travel made my brain, makes my brain tired. Maybe it was the uh, boxing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so what happened was I was brought into this physical therapy clinic and nev they'd never worked with a guy like me and a lot of the stuff I was doing they were told for sure was dangerous in school so here I am I come in and I'm taking seriously injured back patients neck patients and I got them working out I've got them training you know I got them lifting weights and doctors were literally freaking out and getting really upset with me so you mean they weren't just so lying down for four days and hoping it goes away no, no. no. So this, this was challenging every you know traditional belief they ever had, right? And yet they all had this one problem. They knew that I had rehabilitated somebody that none of them could figure out, and many of them already knew who I was by reputation because I was working with many of the top professional athletes in the entire San Diego area by then. So they, one of the physical therapists who was my senior, she was my boss, 
She said, Paul, it would really help us if you could put together some sort of an explanation of the rationale by how you choose which exercises to do because you're going against everything we were taught in physical therapy school and, and even the doctors were taught not to do these things in medical school, yet you're getting excellent results. So it's confusing the hell out of us. <laughs> so what I did was I wrote down the system by which I determined what a person should be doing with their body. And I did that by studying the history of human evolution through the biological tree. And it became very obvious if you study Darwinism or just biology, the selective pressures of nature, for example, determine how long a hummingbird's beak is going to be or how heavy a rhinoceros can get before it can't run anymore so the bodies won't grow into that danger zone. It's a survival threat. Mm. So I studied what is it that a human being has to do with their body in nature or they're going to die. So I took all the movements that I could possibly imagine and wrote them down. I just had reams and reams of possible exercises. And then I said, now I'm going to break these things down to the lowest common denominator. What does every one of these exercises depend on? Well, I had two guiding principles. What's the lowest common denominator of any body weight movement where you're supporting yourself, which is a functional movement? And what was nature demanding of that body in order to survive in the wild, which is what we've developed, you know, all of human evolution compared to how long we've had shoes on our feet is, you know, we, we've only been civilized like this for, a, for, you know, for a rabbit fart of time here. Yeah. A flash in the pan. So we're designed, and I, I came up with this very simple answer after breaking this all down and working on this problem we had to squat if you couldn't squat you couldn't poop <laughs> you couldn't cook on the ground we had to lunge because there was no sidewalks anywhere there was no paved roads and you can't go kill a deer throw it on your back and get home without lunging over things you had to bend you had to push you had to pull and you had to twist and you had to walk jog and run for your life <laughs> okay so yep. those seven primal movement patterns are actually not only the basis of human movement but later on i studied infant development and found that holy smoly the infants go through exactly pushing bending squatting twisting lunging and walking and those are the patterns that an infant has to master before it can walk so squat lunging bending pushing pulling and twisting are the developmental precursors to human walking and you can see it in any infant. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I look at my three-year-old son squat down and pick stuff up and I look at him and I think, you know, I actually just spent three years at the gym learning how to do that properly <laughs> and he just does it naturally. Easy. Yes, that's, that's exactly my point. <laughs> if we don't get exposed to bad influences, yeah. but when you look at how I show on page 121 in my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, when you look at the neurological correlations between the viscera and the musculoskeletal system, you find quickly that if you inflame any organ, you're going to get a viscerosensory response feeding into the muscles. So an organ in pain equals a muscle that is not only perceiving pain itself because the organs borrow their pain-sensitive nerve endings from the uh, sympathetic fibers that feed the musculoskeletal system, and because the organ has preference in survival 
anytime there's an organ in pain, the body will downregulate the flow of blood to keep enough blood, nutrients, and oxygen to feed the injured organ and to make sure waste is being removed. So if someone's eating gluten, for example, and they don't know they're gluten intolerant, that'll inflame their entire intestinal tract. Absolutely. And that will cause such a demand for resources to heal that if that person goes out for a run or tries to go lift weights in the gym, their autonomic nervous system is turning down the flow of blood to those muscles to protect the glands and the organs. So it leads to all sorts of muscle and joint problems. It le leads to chronic pain problems. It leads to joint instabilities because pain produces reflex inhibition so you don't have fine motor control when you got an organ that's got a bunch of background inflammation in it so these things are all regularly not considered you know i, I love is, that um it's fascinating because it's like this <laughs> this picture of um of a, a nervous system where the spine is like a piano, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, you know, everything is finely tuned. We, we chiropractors talk about this all the time when the nervous system is, you know, if it's like a piano, it's got to be finely tuned. If everything works perfectly, the pianist can play beautiful music. But if one yeah. thing is just off tune, if one key is just not right, that music, no matter how beautifully played, is going to be off tune. And that's how your body is functional. Um, that's how we get into problems. And that just leads to a whole bunch of other issues. And that's exactly what you're describing. So it's fantastic. Uh, Paul, we really love the philosophies that you have sort of laid love down it. for us. It's just, just yeah. amazing. Because I think that's what love people it. need to just get a key understanding, a fundamental understanding of where they need to start from and their basic principles. And, and to address yeah. those six key principles are amazing. Looking at Absolutely. your functional movements is just, I mean, it's fascinating. I got a, um, you know, a nine-month-old who at the moment going through those exact same uh, movements that you're describing because he's just about to walk, not yet there, but he's learning all the squatting and he's twisting and he's turning and, you know, he's doing all these primal movements. So it's really great to, uh, that you describe that. We all have that. We just got to kind of go back to our genetics and the way we're meant to move, not the way, you know, we're uh, how we've been taught to move, I guess, is the way um, most people are doing it, just bending the wrong way and not twisting the wrong way and just sitting all the time. But uh, yeah. Paul, if, if you want, people want more information about your um, products, and, and, and I think, you know, there's two types of people you actually attract. You attract a lot of clients, um, just, you know, public, lay people, uh, but you also attract a lot of uh, prof health professionals as well, chiropractors, naturopaths, um, you know, yeah. physiotherapy as well. For both of those types of people, you teach them how to, to, you know, basically train other people and actually train themselves. You actually have a, a three different websites, I believe. So I think the main one is checkinstitute.com. That's check as in spelled in C-H-E-K, institute.com. Um, we'll put this on the on the blog below this. But there's also, you have a second website called ppssuccess.com. Um, yep. And uh, also the third one where you, got, you can kind of get to know uh, Paul a little bit more, which is paulchecksblog.com. And you can uh, yeah. listen to his uh, his insights and more of, more of his philosophy on a, on a regular basis. So, Paul, um, any lasting thing that you want to you know last comment that you want to make to our listeners uh, to check out or any particular things that they should start from to get a bit more information about you and your your philosophy. Uh, actually, if they go to the Czech Institute website in the article section, there is an article called "The Essential Czech Philosophy," I believe it is. And it overviews the, the whole principles behind what I teach from a body, mind, and spirit perspective. And it's artistically demonstrated as well. Um, for, the, for the listeners, if they want to learn how to take care of themselves using very simple, effective methods that don't require any more effort than the ones they're using now, and you don't have to go to the doctor to do these, um, 
my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, is, is, has all the questionnaires that identify where your stress level's at and give you clear direction on which stressors to lower first, which systems in your body, and give you a total score so you understand how much stress your whole body and mind are under, and then show you which types of movement or exercise programs and dietary changes will bring you into vitality the quickest. And then the other program I'd highly recommend for people is my program. It's an audio workbook program called You Are What You Eat. And it teaches you everything you need to know about food, all how they manipulate it, how the what the government's made legal, what all the things about reading labels, packaging food, storing food. Right. You know, stuff that people really need to know. So I had to cut all that out of Eat, Move, and Be Healthy to get the book to a link that people would read. <laughs> so that's actually, that's actually 131 pages cut out that I just uh, did on audio and gave a workbook with all the principles in it. Those two gives anybody the power to heal. I've had people write me letters from all over the world that have healed from every kind of disease, got off all sorts of drugs, doing nothing but getting themselves healthy. As I say, I don't treat people with diseases, but I do coach people that want to get healthy. Excellent. Well, I can I can definitely highly recommend those books, and they're a great read. And there's lots of information that you can definitely go back and uh, go back to every single day or year uh, just to get more information to get yourself healthier. Well, that's another great episode, guys. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us all the way from California. As always, join us each week on the WellnessGuys.com website. Leave your comment below. Tell us what you think about Paul and his insights. I'm I was frantically taking notes. I don't know about you guys. Um, yep. So make sure you follow us on facebook and like us on facebook and tell us what you think there and so we'll definitely have a conversation about this episode uh, on facebook follow us on twitter as well and until next week begin creating wellness into your lives let's lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show